First John chapter 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. One of the most powerful statements in the entire Bible. God is love. If you want to know God, he is a God of love, and we thank God for that. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. This is so important, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. There's going to be some revelation here this morning, I pray, is, is, is just helpful to all of us here today. Not that we loved God. There's nobody here that is here living for God because you're just this tremendous, wonderful person and you woke up one day and said, I love God so much, and so because I love God, God's got to love me. Guess what? That's not how it worked for any one of us. It, it tells us right here, we didn't love God, but he loved us. And I'm so thankful for that love. Sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Say that, propitiation. How's that work, huh? It means a satisfaction for justice. A price was paid. Jesus came and paid the price for our, my sins, your sins. We were mixed up, messed up, just bad people until Jesus got a hold of us and the blood cleansed us and washed us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. Hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is, second time, it says, God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, not that, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love. What a liberating scripture. But perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, hates his brother, he's a liar. Or he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. In 32 times and 18 verses, the, the, the greatest place in all the Bible for the reference of the agape love of God. 32 times in 18 verses, John reiterates to us an incredibly powerful truth that he wants us to have rock solid in our hearts and in our lives. And that is that God is love. Mm, I feel the Holy Ghost here today. God is love. And I feel like there's somebody here this morning that needs to be reminded that God is love. And furthermore, I think somebody needs to be reminded that God loves you. 
Amen. His name was John. He was a fisherman. He was young, but his skin was already leathery and sun-baked brown. His young hands were work-strong, scarred, and calloused. He labored in the commercial fishing industry. He would fit right in at River of Life. He was a rough dude. Jesus likes rough dudes. <laughs> As a matter of fact, man, I just want to preach the whole Bible this morning. To serve Jesus, men, you don't have to turn in your man card. This was John. John was, was, was a man's man in many ways. And uh, you had to be to try your hand in this rough and very, very dangerous work. Hard work. Mending nets, repairing boats. He's fighting tempestuous seas. Hard work. How many near-death experiences did John have riding the deck of a boat? How many times did his boat capsize? And uh, this was John. This was the life that John knew all of his life. This is all that he knew. His family business was this. His father, it was his father's industry. It was tough work. It was hard work. It was difficult work. And I say, thank God for men like this. Thank God for working men. Thank God for men that aren't scared of work. Thank God for men that are willing to embrace work. I think the world needs more men like that. Thank God for these kind of men. I'll, I'll call John blue collar bad to the bone. John. Rough and tumble, strong, impetuous in so many ways. He didn't come by it strangely. He had a daddy who was a hothead. We're going to get real here this morning in case you're wondering. I think, I think that we need a lot more of that in church. This is, is a place that you can be real. His daddy's name was Zebedee. <laughs> Man, those Zebedees. Those Zebedees, the Zebedees. It just rolls off your tongue, the Zebedees. They were like Hagers. <laughs> I told DeAndre I was going to maybe peck on them this morning. I told him Wednesday. Zebedees, they, they, were like, they were like tribbets. You don't want to ask Paul about his past, I'm just telling you. Because somehow a crowbar is going to enter the conversation, or a wrench. And uh, came from a family of wolves. <laughs> and you don't want to tangle with them. You don't want to tangle with those people. When we talk about Zebedee, we talk about his kids. I mean, these guys are guys that would fight at the drop of a hat, and they drop the hat. <laughs> Jesus comes across them, and I find it really interesting because he finds us where we are. How many is thankful to God for that? He doesn't expect us to be something that we're not yet. 
He doesn't expect a pre-qualification. He doesn't say, if you get to this level and if, if you got everything together, then you can be on my team. It's amazing to me that Jesus picks the down and outers. He picks the, the wildcats. He picks the, the crazy people. There's hope for some of you. <laughs> Certainly hope for me. I thank God for that. And these are, these are the kind of people that Jesus picked. He, he picked people like this, and he gives them nicknames. He, gives, he nicknames them. John, rugged John. He calls John and James Boanerges. Boanerges, sons of thunder. Man, is that, that is cool. It's like, I mean, it sounds, I mean, like, is that Jesus or is that like the WWE? <laughs> sons of, I mean, picture guys, sons of thunder. And here come the sons of thunder, James and, and John. It's interesting to me, Jesus didn't go to the theological colleges to find followers. Just interesting to me. He finds just real people. It's like, it's like if you met John, you're like, this, this is a guy that belongs in a cage fight. He's that kind of guy. That was John. He was intense. He was forceful. He was a hothead. There's hope for some of you. He was strong-willed. Sometimes he was incredibly undignified. He just was. Relentless. I like John. Type A. <laughs> AA. His blood would boil, his temper would flare, just like that. That's, that was him. That was John. That's how he's raised. That's all that he knew. And along comes Jesus. And Jesus called John. Jesus called men. He called man's men. He called tough guys. Rough and tumble. Come on, somebody. There's hope for our world. There's hope for our world. Jesus called these kind of people, and he called them to follow him, and they, they left their nets, they left their boats, they left their livelihood, they left their family business, they left all that they knew, and they followed him, and they walked with him, and they heard from him, and they witnessed his miracles, and they saw him, and walked with him, and, and Jesus had a way of working with people like John. Oh, I thank God for that today. I thank God that he works with imperfect people. If that were the, not the case, he'd have nobody on planet Earth to work with. He works with people that don't always have it all together. And Jesus challenged them. And Jesus uh, worked with them. And Jesus 
developed them and Jesus built them and Jesus broke them down and rebuilt them and Jesus challenged them and Jesus showed them and Jesus exemplified the life in front of them and they were good men that were courageous enough to follow Jesus and learn from Jesus and ultimately thank God they became like the one that they were following they didn't stay where they were they changed and they were transformed in the presence of Jesus as Jesus worked with them and Jesus talked with them and Jesus helped them and they followed and they learned and they grew it brings us to the gospel some of the most exciting times I haven't seen much of it I've heard much of the chosen my understanding is you probably want to see it because it pretty accurately portrays the, the life of Jesus Christ and, and the reality of it. And, and I'm so thankful that Jesus works with people, real people, common people. Thank God that he loves common people. He made a whole lot of us, didn't he? And works with real common people. And so John, John walks with Jesus. He spends years with Jesus. But you know what's amazing is, is even after those years of walking with Jesus, all that time with Jesus... There were times that, that, that John would just flare up. And he would, he, he would, he would flare up like a, like, like a grease fire. And, and, his, and his temper would flare and, and you'd see him. And in Luke 9, 53, they're, they're walking through Samaria and, and, and they meet the Samaritans. And the Samaritans aren't showing Jesus an adequate level of respect. And, and what are the, what's the son of thunder say? Jesus, why don't we just call it? I mean, he's got, he's got an Elijah spirit on him. Well, let's just call down fire from heaven on these lousy dirtbag Samaritans. Let's just, let's just fry these crispy critters. They all ought to just go right to hell. Let's fry them up, Jesus, just like Elijah did. What do you say, Jesus? And Jesus is like, John, 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 John. Slow your roll. John. You got a little too much John coming out right now. You got a little Zebedee spirit come out of you right now. Come on now, John. That's the son of man's come to seek and to save that. I'm not here to burn and fry people up. I'm here to bring redemption and salvation, hope and, and help. And I'm, I'm here to help people. And, and thank God for that. But, but John didn't have that perspective. This is why you can't ever give up on the church when people in the church don't always act right. Because there's people in process in their walk with God that may not accurately represent the Jesus that they're following. It doesn't mean that I throw out the baby with the bathwater and say, I'm going to quit God, I'm going to quit church because my brother's an idiot. Because my sister's a, she was a jerk to me last week. Because sometimes we don't always reflect the Jesus that we walk with. Sometimes that's the way that it is. Sometimes you are not a grade A Christian like you should be. I like to point the finger and just say that. Sometimes, guess what? I'm not the Christian that I need to be. But I thank God this morning that Jesus still works with us. Yes, 
He doesn't wad us up and say, John, get get off my team. You're an idiot, John. I'm through with you. I'm done with you. Thank God for the mercy of the Lord because none of us would be where we are today if it wasn't for the mercy of Jesus uh, to put up with some of our stuff, uh, forgive some of our stuff, help us through our stuff, show us a better way, and to develop us into what God wants us to become in our lives. Uh, Thank God for the mercy of Jesus. Oh, praise God. I'm preaching to a lot of new believers here this morning. A lot of newly baptized folks. This zealous, if you think about this disciple of Jesus, this zealous at times reckless, he was. He was sometimes reckless, this follower of Jesus. And Jesus changed him. He changed him. Despite his issues, despite his shortcomings, the closer that John got to Jesus, the more he became like Jesus. The more that he walked with Jesus, the more he learned from Jesus. And ultimately, everybody thanked God for the day of Pentecost when he received the spirit of Jesus into his life. And it it just changed everything. So that the latter rendition of John is very, very different than the previous rendition of John. When you see the old John, he's a lot different than the the young John. When you see the mature John, you see a lot different version than, than the young and immature John. But thank God that Jesus didn't give up on him in the beginning when he was the young John when he was still mixing things up and messing things up. Thank God that he didn't give up on him at that point because he's a good God that works with us, walks with us, teaches us, corrects us when we need it, puts the smack down on us sometimes. Sometimes God will give you a straight up grade A spanking. Do you realize that? But if you don't understand things about Jesus, you say, oh, that means Jesus rejected me. God hates me because he spanked my rear end. No, what it means is that he's a good God and he loves us. And if he loves us, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. No, I want to help somebody here. Because sometimes you're going to be living for God. Sometimes you're going to, you're going to come to church and you're just going to be, feel like you got flayed alive. And you're like, what did I do to deserve that? Oh, God must hate me. No, God loves you enough uh, that he's going to be direct with you sometimes. And he's going to love you. And he's going to care about you. And he's going to develop you. And the closer that John got to Jesus, the more he partook of his attributes, the more he became like Jesus. What are you preaching here this morning? I'm preaching... About 42 things, really, but (laughs) one point that I want to make here this morning is don't give up, new believer. If you're stumbling along as you're learning to walk with Jesus, listen up this morning. Don't you give up as you're learning how to walk with Jesus. Because Jesus put up with a lot of mess with his disciples. Uh, he put up with their pride. He put up with their, their, their wanting to be number one. He put up with their wrong attitude sometimes. He didn't just put up with it, but he taught them and corrected them. And if you're new to the body of Christ, or if you've just been here for a few years and you're still working through stuff in life, I want to encourage you to hang on for the ride of your life. Because Jesus won't give up on you if you won't give up on Jesus. Jesus won't let you go if you won't let go of Jesus. If you'll hang on to Jesus, he'll make you and he'll shape you and he'll help you and he'll mold you and he'll make you into something that you never dreamed you could be because you're going to be a testament and a testimony to the goodness of Jesus. Put your hands together. Let's magnify the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah.
So I'm preaching to John's this morning. I'm preaching to John. That's who I'm preaching to this morning. Amen. So when we look at John's life, we look at a man who Jesus worked with. Thank God. We look at a man that he, he, he made into a wonderful godly man, a wonderful preacher, a wonderful lover of souls, a wonderful man. I think it's very important this morning, though, if we boil down this radical guy's life and, and what he ended up becoming, what is the primary characteristic that rises to the surface when we talk about John? The one word that you'll find, especially later in his life, very important for us, I think, to, to look at the Bible. Do we realize that the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, they believe were written around the same time period? Sometimes we think they're divided. They believe they were written around the same time period, and they believe that they were written there are the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that describe the life of Jesus. And John is the latecomer. And John, as an old man, because the church was facing difficulties and challenges, John writes back to the church and brings revelation, illumination, and insight. John, the gospel of John was written to the church primarily because there was a lot of doctrine circulating, formulating in the world, false winds of doctrine that John's trying to correct and amend. And so he talks about the deity of Jesus. So when you read the gospel of John, there's miracles, there's signs, there's wonders. There's constant, continual affirmation of the fact that Jesus is God. Man, that's good news. First, second, third John is written in the very same time frame, uniquely the time frame many believe, there's conjecture, but many believe it was in the mid-90s. So these are some of the last books of the Bible that are written. These are written toward the end of John's life. These are written after he had lived. Of the 12 disciples, the only one that was not, that was not martyred was John. He lived a full life. They say he died a natural death. And so the beauty of that I appreciate because much of the Gospels is, if we look at it, we look at it, it's, it's a very short time period. And so we don't have the benefit of understanding what it is to live for God, not for, you know, like a five-year short burst of time or the book of Acts that gives us, you know, snippets and, 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 and short shots. But, but we see John, here's a guy that lives his whole life for God. And as an old stooped-back man... He writes back to the church, and he said, Church, there are some things I want to make sure that, that you understand for, firmly. Five times in the Gospel of John, a very consequential designation is given to John. Do you know what it is? Five times. It's kind of interesting that he's the guy that wrote the book. <laughs> and he says, The disciple whom Jesus loved... He speaks of himself. He had pole position in many ways. He was talking about himself, but he doesn't say it was me. He just says the disciple whom Jesus loved. The characteristic after a long life of walking with Jesus, a long life of walking with him, the characteristic was Jesus loved me. Could we lift our hands to the Lord for just a moment? Jesus, we thank you. Holy Ghost, in the name of Jesus, help us to get it, Lord, in our spirit. Help us to get it in our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John got it. He was a recipient of the love of God. In his old age, he looked back and said, man, Jesus loved me. John knew love. John received love. John walked with love. 
John was loved by Jesus. We could even just call him brother love. Because I read to you this verse, and this is why I wanted to thank you, Joe, for reading that this morning. And I want to read it again because in these 18 verses, 32 times the word love is used. You think the son of thunder is trying to get something across to us? The most concentrated demonstration of the word love is found right in this chapter. Why? Because he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. He experienced the love of God. Jesus gave his love to him, and he wanted to make sure that every believer in the church got this deep into their spiritual guts uh, that Jesus, that God is love. The longest and simplest love letter ever written was the work of a Parisian painter named Marcel de la Clure in 1875. The address was Magdalene de Villalore, who was his aristocratic light, light of love. The missive that he wrote to her in French is Je vous ami, which means I love you, and 1,875,000 times, a thousand times the calendar years of the date, 1875, the prodigious lover did not pen the letter with his own hand. He hired a scribe. A lazy person could have just said, write this out 1,875,000 times. But that's not what he did. The amatory sentence was written, but Leclerc was so entranced by the words that every time it was written, he would dictate it word for word and had the hired man repeat it verbatim. All in all, therefore, if you think about it, Robert Ripley, in case you're wondering, Ripley's believe it or not, is the one that shares the story. He says, all in all, therefore, the phrase was uttered orally and in writing 5,625,000 times before it reached its destination. How's that for a Valentine card? I was going to read you a bunch of Valentines this morning and ended up doing it. But How's that for a Valentine card? I love you. 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 I'm going to do it 1,875,000 times. We should be here until PM Live. <laughs> that's, that's what he did. That's what he did. What are you saying? I'm saying this morning that perhaps the most important revelation that you could ever receive in your life is that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. John knew it personally. He wanted to make sure that the church got it so well, the heart of Jesus. Because if you don't know love, you don't know God. If you don't know God, you don't know love. And until you meet love, you haven't met God. The greatest message that any human being could ever hear from God is the fact that God says to us, I love you. I want to remind somebody here this morning that we need to thank Almighty God that God loves us and communicates and demonstrates that love to us over and over and over and over again. With the rising of every sun, he reminds us, I love you. With every blessing that comes out of nowhere that's undeserved, he is reminding us, I love you. When you wake up with peace in your life, it's a gentle reminder that Jesus says, 
I love you. He reminds us in the sunrise and he reminds us in the sunset. I love you. He paints it across the sky. He confirms it every time there's a move of the Holy Ghost in the church. And you have that little feeling that runs up and down your spine or a tear just starts to leak out the corner of your eye. It's a gentle reminder from God above that he wants to remind us over and over and over again that I love you, 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 says Jesus. Hanging on a cross, every drip of blood that splashes in the soil is silently whispering, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. John 4 and 8, he says, He that loveth not knoweth not God. And I love this, the way he says it, for God is love. You want to know what God is? God is love. William Barclay says of this verse, and I quote, it was so great, I just, I wanted to quote it. In this passage occurs what is probably the greatest single statement in the whole Bible, says this great commentator. He considers it one of the greatest verses in the whole Bible. That God is love. Barclay says, how many doors that single statement unlocks and how many questions that single statement answers. God is love. If you're looking for a complicated sermon this morning, you're not going to find it. It's as simple as the Sunday school song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Well, you say this morning, you may say that you may say this morning, well, I don't deserve his love. Bingo. Score. Correct. You don't deserve his love. We're going to work on some things here this morning because there's two kinds of love. There's the kind of love that you deserve. And there's the type that you don't. The type that we deserve, we got it coming. We've earned it. We've been good. We've complied. We've done good things. We've performed. Let me tell you about another kind of love. It's the kind of love that we don't deserve. Oh, hallelujah. I think we need to preach grace and love so strong that an absolutely, seriously screwed up world can somehow find their way to salvation. Because it is the only way. Because this world cannot deserve the love of God. I'm going to give you some Bible just to validate what I'm saying. Keep me in the book. Romans 5 and 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. 
Some would do it for somebody that's good. Maybe you really cared about it. You lay down your life for them, but not God. Romans 5 and 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know what that means? That means he loved me when I didn't deserve it. He loved me when I was doing wrong. He loved me when I was stealing and cheating. He loved me when I was drinking and smoking and doping. He loved me when I was hurting myself and hurting others. Now, don't get this wrong. He does not love sin, but he does love the sinner. And we are all here on this Sunday morning because he loved us when we didn't deserve that kind of a love. He loved us when we had so little to offer him. He loved us when we were broken. He loved us when our lives were mixed up and were messed up because if that were not the case, we'd never make it to where we are now. But he came to us when we had nothing to offer him. He loved us when we were messed up so that he couldn't fix us up and make us to be what he wants us to be. He loved us when we had nothing to offer him. I thank God today that he is the great initiator and he is the great lover. Come on somebody, when you were running the streets wild and you weren't looking for God, God was looking for you. Nobody got here this morning because you just said, I'm just going to get up and I'm just going to find my way to God and I'm just a good guy and, and I'm all of that. No, somehow, somewhere there was a God that was at work in your life stirring in you something that you did not have inside of yourself. It's called mercy and it's called grace. And if it was not for him, we wouldn't be here today. If it was not for the love of God, none of us would be here serving the Lord today. He loved me when I didn't love him. He loved me and he paved the pathway so that I could love him. I can say here today the importance of the words, I love you, because I do believe they're important words. I think they're words that we ought to say with high level of frequency. I love you. I love you. I think that's important. But you know what? He does not just say, I love you. He shows the fact that he loves us, and he does it over and over and over and over and over and over again. It says in verse 9, and this was manifest the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son in the world that we might live through him. Verse 10, I like this. Here in his love, not that we loved God. Am I in the book here today? Am I talking scripture? Yeah. Not that we loved God, John says, but that he loved us. You get it? So I didn't get here because I love God. I got here. I didn't love God, but I got here because God loved me when I didn't love God. You get it? He was the initiator. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The substitute, the sacrifice, the, the, the atonement. He, and, and he came because he, not because we loved him. He came unto his own, his own rejected him. His own received him not. Amen. He came to us when we didn't love him. But he loved us. I thank God for that today. There's a lot of misconceptions today. People are going to talk about how could a good God, how could a loving God send people to hell? I mean, I guess it's, it's, it's a cop-out probably more than anything. I guess it's a, maybe a fair question. 
I'll give the benefit of the doubt. How could a loving God send people to hell? Listen to me very closely. The only way that any person is going to go to hell is over his dead body. I'll say it again. The only way anybody's going to go to hell is going to be over the dead body of Jesus Christ because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that in Jesus Christ, God so loves this world that he gave himself and people, if they go to hell, they're going to have to go to hell in spite of Calvary, in spite of the cross, in spite of the shed blood of the lamb. Anybody that goes to hell is going to have to, first of all, walk by the cross crucified Christ in the blood of the spotless lamb. Anybody that goes to hell is going to have to refuse and reject the goodness of Jesus that has been demonstrated to the whole world. Think about it today. If God was only law and justice, if that's all that God was, if he was only law and justice, he would have left us to the consequences of our sin. He'd have left us there. He could have, with absolute truth, as the judge of the universe, he could have said, you get what you deserve. He could have. The most shocking revelation for me as a new convert coming into the, into the church as, as a teenager, the most shocking revelation that hit my mind the the freakishly scary thought that hit my mind was the fact that my god i would have gone to hell if it wasn't for jesus i would have gone to hell if he gave me what i deserve that's what it would have and i deserved it but thank god he had a rescue plan Thank God he didn't leave me. Thank God he didn't leave you. Though, uh, listen up, church. Though our world is dark right now, our world is dark. And be careful, righteous one. Be careful, holy one. Be careful, Holy Ghost-filled one. Our world is messed up. Our world is in bad shape. But so were all of us outside of Jesus. And the only hope for our world today is that there is still redemption. There is still hope in Jesus. There is still a crucified Christ. There is still someone, though, and oh God, there's a re you wonder why we talk about revival around here so much because there's a broken world out there and their only hope is Jesus Christ their only hope is the blood of Jesus the only hope is the love of God that can change anyone anytime anyhow that he so chooses because he is a good God Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. My testimony when I came to the Lord, I'll tell you this. I'll just, I've shared it too many times, but I got the microphone. I'm sorry. When I found God, when he found me, really, when I found God at 15 years of age, I'm just going to tell you, I met love. Joel, that's what I was hearing you say as you were reading that scripture. 15 years old, and, and I, I didn't, I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to be in church. I didn't want to even be there. I didn't want to be there that particular Sunday night that mother said, come to church, please. Would you please come to church tonight? Would you, like some of you people, obnoxious people that just don't give up. 
would you just come to church? Would you just come? To, I don't know. I don't think I want to come to church, Ma. You know, because secretly within my heart, there's a deep level of conviction. And I don't think I want to live the way those people are living. <laughs> come to church. Would you? We're getting baptized tonight. Your sister's getting. Would you come to church tonight? Would you get baptized? I don't think so. I don't think so. But her importunity won out over my stubbornness. And I showed up in that Sunday night service. I don't remember what the preacher preached. I don't know what the singer sang. I don't know. All I can tell you is when that service got done with, my sister or my mother went into the tank, was going down to be baptized 15 years old. The only thing I can tell you that happened, and I go back to this over and over and over and over and over again in my life, was that I was overwhelmed with the love of God. Tears. Listen, you, you people know when to stand, you know when to sit, you know when to clap, you know when not. I didn't know any of that. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to act. All I knew is I was overwhelmed. And in that service, being overwhelmed in the presence of God, weeping in the presence of the Lord, and it was like God took a scrub brush to my soul. And I met God, but I met love. I met love. That's what I met. I met love. A youth pastor said, you want to be baptized? I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I got baptized, and that was the night. Didn't want to be there. God got a hold of my heart. And here I am 33 years later. Longer than that. Don't do the math. <laughs> Leave me alone. Don't do the math. And here I am, a product of the love of God. Mm. Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. My son, many of you know his story. I won't go into that in great depth today, but he strayed and he wandered away from the Lord and the Lord was working with him and working on him. And I'll just abbreviate the whole story and I'll just, I'll give you the punchline. The punchline was this. We had been praying for him for years and a lot of stuff was going on in his life. And I remember... I call it Monday morning hangover. <laughs> you don't know what it's like being a preacher, I guess. But so I'm laying there in, in bed, and, and I turn on my phone, and there's a notification. And I pick up my phone, and it's from my young son. He says, Dad, comma, God loves us so much. And what he didn't know, but that I knew, is that I've been praying for him for years. God, show him your love. Communicate your love to him in a language that he can understand. Bzz, bzz, dad, God loves us so much. I'm telling you, Jesus rescued us. I will close with this very simple thought. In light of all of that, in light of what God has done for us, in light of the love of God, I think the question begs to be asked, then what does the Lord desire out of me? What is my responsibility to that level of love? What, what do I owe this God that loves me.
This is not going to be a complicated message, okay? We're not going to plumb maybe the theological depths, although this is probably deeper than... This is very simple. What does God expect out of me? You know what God expects out of you? Love him back. Mm. Love him back. Say, what does God want out of my life? Love him back. In fact, I'm going to go a little further in saying this, that if you'll get your love for God right, everything else falls into line. Oh, Jesus. Why do you do what you do for God? Why do you do what you do? I'm, I'm done. Music come. Why, why do you do what you do for God? Why do you do? There's going to be people that look at you. You, you walk with God. You live for God. They're, they're going to look at you and say, are you, you give 10% of your income to God? Are you out of your mind? You, you tithe? What, what, is, what, what is that? Are you, is that like a, like a tax? What, what, what is that? Why do you, why do you, I mean, man, when I first started going to church, it was a trip, man. It was a trip. We didn't do this like, we didn't grow up Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. We went like once a year. And all of a sudden, the driveway is empty Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. People are like, why do you go, Travis, why do you go to church so much? Are you kidding me, man? Why do you go to church so much? How about some of you folks, the way you live your life? Hello? How about some of you folks, your wardrobe? Right? People look at you and say, what's up with that? Like, right? That's what people notice. Hair and skirts. <laughs> Why do you do what you do? What, I mean, what, what, what is, what's up with you? Why are you so serious about this thing? You, you, do you mean to tell me that you don't drink alcohol? My kids told me this, and I thought it was just cool. It was, I don't know, I suppose a compliment, and I was thankful for it. They told their friends, they had friends, and they said, I've never seen my parents drink alcohol, ever. They said, no. No, no, no. I said, no, we've never seen our parents, ever. Never seen alcohol, we've never seen it. It's like, you fall out of a tree? I mean, what do you mean? You mean you don't smoke dope? Really? Everybody smokes dope. Oh, they make, they make you? They say you can't do that. Listen, I've been pastoring 26 years. Good luck with that. People talk about how powerful. Yeah, okay, great. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Half the time you tell people what to do, they, they want to do the opposite. That's called human nature. It's not called a divine nature. It's called human nature. So why in the world do you, I mean, what is up what is up with you? Are you ready? I got, a, I got an easy answer. I got an easy answer for everybody. Are you ready? I love God. I love God. That's why. How's that for theology? 
I love God. I'll give you Deuteronomy 22.5. I can give you all that. I can, I can give you that. There's a rationale. We're not insane. We're not completely out of our mind. I mean, there's a reason. Yes, there's a reason. There's a reason why we don't toke. I mean, there's, there's, but, but really, you, you want to know the real reason why? Because I love God. Because I love God. That's why I don't do some things. That's why I do other things. Because I love God. They got this thing called fasting. Dave Latif, I like food. I like food. You mean there's times you don't eat food? Yep. Why in the world do you do that? Because I love God. Rich, you say we're looking for something deeper than that. Don't get any deeper than that. Because if you can get that figured out, everything else will fall into line. And if you don't get that figured out, nothing else will fall into line. I can, you can show up every Sunday and I can give you a rule book and a rule list and I can just go, and it'll roll down the middle aisle of all the things you shouldn't, shouldn't do. And guess what? That isn't going to get you to live right before God. What's going to get you to live right before God? Yes, we need to know the why. But the ultimate why is because I love God. That's why I love God. I want to serve God because okay are you ready why do you do what you do because I love God okay can we take one more step back well why do you love God Ron Marlette because he first loved me why do you do what you do I do what I do because I love God well why do you love God I love God because he first loved me hmm he loved me when I had nothing to offer him. He loved me when I was just a royal mess. Anything good you see in my life today is a result of the love of God that built me up, picked me up, gave me a family, gave me a life, and everything that I have today is because he first loved me. What I'm saying here this morning is if you get your love for God right, everything else will fall into line. That's my message. I'm done. I'm done. What do you say we love the Lord today? What do you say we thank God today?